Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Probably the best way that I could maybe get us all on the same page about the, the, the feeling that, that we're going to talk about today is, is probably to ask a question. Have any of you ever been lost? You ever been lost? You're like, I do not know where I am. I don't know where I'm at. Maybe you, you, when you were a little kid, did you ever get lost? Maybe you got separated from your parents in a grocery store or in a mall or something like that. I had that happen several times. I remember I got lost. I got separated from my parents on vacation one time, and I was pretty sure they'd bailed on me. It was like, our plan worked. Let's get out of here and leave Chad. That's what I thought had happened. Or you're driving, and all of a sudden, you're like, I don't, I don't know where I'm at. Maybe you're in a different city. Not too long ago, I was, I was way out west, kind of like in Stryker area, and I was driving out there, and my GPS goes, you have arrived at your destination in this abandoned farm field. I'm like, this is not my destination. I'm confused. I'm disappointed. I'm running late. I'm losing out on some things. I started to think, am I in the wrong place? Where, what's going on here? And you get this feeling when you're lost that's just uneasy. You're confused. You're disappointed. You're not so sure what's going on. You start to question yourself, maybe even start to question God, how, how do we define this when, when we experience loss in these ways? Let's just, let's just call it having a troubled heart for today. There's times when inside your heart is troubled. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14 today. And as we look there, it's interesting that we're looking at this passage of Scripture on the same day when we, when we shared in communion together. Because it was in this same passage of Scripture that Jesus shares communion with his disciples for that last time. That, that time when they come to the Lord's table. When they talk about, this is my body, this is my blood. When he talks to them about that. It was interesting because just several days before, Jesus had come into Jerusalem at the triumphal entry. And people lined the streets. They made him a hero. They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. They believed that he was the one who had come to save them, the Messiah. This was paying off big time for the disciples because they had left everything to follow him. And now there's all this excitement. There's this buzz. Jesus is in town. Jesus is in town. It was a pretty big deal if you stop and consider what was going on, if you see what was happening in that day. And then they come together. And in John chapter 13, that's where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Man, what a powerful spiritual moment. He teaches this to them. They share in the Passover together. Every part of the Passover is packed with symbolism about how God delivers those who have been bondage and in captivity. It's this powerful moment. And in the midst of this, as they have been experiencing great acclaim and fame and victory, and now we're in this very spiritual moment, what Jesus does is he drops this bomb on them. He tells them something that they were not expecting, that confuses them, that disappoints them. The reality is there was no way for them to understand it yet. They would eventually, but not yet. But look at what he says to them. Just for instance, look at verse 33 of John chapter 13. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. What? Jesus, we've been with you for three years. We left everything to follow you. Things are going really good. And now you say we we can't come with you? 
There was real confusion in all of this. Look, look at what happens next, verse 36. So Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. These guys are confused. In fact, this is the same passage of scripture where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, before this night's over, you're gonna deny that you, you're gonna deny that you ever even knew me. So there's this weird dynamic where all of a sudden Jesus drops this bomb and they're confused, they're disappointed, they're trying to figure out what's going on, they're questioning him, they're questioning themselves, they can't understand this. Do you know what they're feeling? They're having a troubled heart. These are Jesus' best friends. He spent 24-7 with them for the last 36 months or so. And now there's this, this question of what is going on here? What's the reality of all of this? And in the midst of this, what he gives to them that we'll look at in John chapter 14 is hope for a troubled heart. And it's exactly what some of you need to hear today. Because some of you have come in here confused. Things haven't gone the way that you thought life would. Maybe you had this ideal of how things were going to go. But that's not what you're seeing right now in life. Maybe you're disappointed with some things. Maybe you had some expectations and they didn't play out. Or maybe you've experienced a loss and you're not sure that you can rebound from that. And you're questioning God and you're questioning yourself and you have these questions, you're trying to figure it out. What you have today is a troubled heart. Maybe not all of you. Some of you would say, I don't have a trummer heart. Amen, right? Some of you would say, I don't have a troubled heart. I have a summer heart. Sun's shining, sky's blue. The Cavs actually won. It's amazing. Some of you have that heart. However, you don't have a troubled heart today, it's coming. <laughs> Happens to all of us, doesn't it? It's the reality of life. And what I, what I want to share with you today, straight from God's word, is the same thing that Jesus said to his friends when he, they had a troubled heart. He gave them hope. He gave them encouragement. And what we're going to do is look at the first six verses of John chapter 14. We're just going to kind of unpack some truths from there. As we look at it, I hope you'll find hope for your troubled heart as well. Let's jump in. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Jesus says, now this is, he's just giving them the bad news, right? He jumps in with this verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We've already taken a little look at the backstory, right? They thought everything was going good. And then Jesus drops this bomb on them. Hey, fellas, things are going to get weird for a little while. We're going to get split up for a little while. Things aren't going to go the way that you expected. And they're like, bottom drops out for them. And Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Understand this. A troubled heart is a normal response to the unknown details of life. Sometimes we beat ourselves up when we feel a little down or concerned or anxiety, and the reality is this. A troubled heart is a normal response to the unknown details of life. It's, just, it's, our, it's our response in those times. You ever seen any of those like video montages? Maybe you've seen one online or someplace like America's Funny Videos where they show all those videos of people getting scared and their responses. You know, it's, it's somebody jumps out at them or there's a bug or there's a spider or there's somebody in a scary mask, and then you watch them. Aren't those funny? I love to watch those things. I laugh at those things when they happen to other people. Not so much when it happens to me. When it happens to me, I have the same natural response that you do. I respond like a little girl, <laughs> right? It's just what we do. Why? It's just natural. 
It's our natural response in those moments. And the same thing's true in our soul and in our spirit and in our emotions. When we are confronted with things that we did not expect, the unknown details of life, our natural response is a troubled heart. It's a part of our human frailty. We don't need to feel bad about that. We just need to know what to do with that. And Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. Now, don't myth this. Wow. Don't miss this. Jesus' words are a command. They're not a suggestion. It's not like he popped open a fortune cookie and said, oh, this is cute. It's a command. He's not giving you an option. Do not let your heart be troubled, he says. Guys, I know it's going to get weird. I know it's going to get tough. I know you don't know exactly what's ahead for you. But do not let your heart be troubled. It's the same thing that the psalmist said to himself. When you read the psalms, multiple times, the psalmist says this, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. The reality is there's times when we need to take control of a situation. Do not let your heart be troubled. I'm not gonna let my soul get downcast. The, the, The problem is that oftentimes what I do is I listen to myself instead of talking to myself. I hear my emotions, I hear how I feel, and I begin to listen to myself when instead what I need to do is talk to myself and remind myself of the truths of God's word and remind myself of who God is. I need to take control of that situation. So Jesus says to the disciples, it's a command, remember this, do not let your heart be troubled. But he doesn't leave it there. He helps them to know how. It's not just one thing to tell somebody to do it. You have to help them to know how to do it. So watch what he says. Verse 1 of John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. He knows this, that sometimes confusion will come to us. And when confusion comes, we have to know how to deal with it. What we have to do is we have to find a substitute. We have to substitute our confusion for something that we can rely on, something we can trust in. So in times of confusion, the disciple of Jesus holds on to what they believe. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Instead, Jesus says, you need to believe. Substitute that confusion, that doubt for what you believe. In times of confusion, the disciple of Jesus holds on to what they believe. Well, what do we believe in? Jesus mentions just two things in in this verse. One, he tells us that we believe in God. We put our trust, we put our confidence, we put our hope in God. Why God? Because God is our Father. I mean, that's why it's, it's so healthy for us to sing like we did today. I believe in God the Father to profess and confess and affirm the things that we believe. You are good. You are good. I know it's repetitive, but it's powerful, isn't it? Because it reminds us of who he is. He's our creator, He created us. He's our king. It means he rules over everything in our lives. Nothing catches him off guard. He's never surprised. I remember that I'm always in his hands, and then I can believe. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Instead, guys, substitute that confusion for belief. Believe in God. He says, believe also in me. We not only believe in God, but we believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus because he's the son of God. He's the one God sent from heaven. He is God himself. He is our Lord. We can entrust our lives into his hands. And he's our savior. And we've already talked about this as we shared in communion together, talked about how he forgives our sins, how he gives us hope, how he's given us life. And so what Jesus says to the disciples, to those with a troubled heart is this, look, 
Substitute your troubled heart for what you can believe in. And when we believe, there's powerful, powerful results. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Now, just a kind of a biblical note here. This is hundreds of years before Jesus was born. But when scripture refers to the cornerstone, do you know who they're talking about? They're talking about Jesus. So he's saying, look, if you put your trust and confidence in Jesus, he says this. Go back to the end of this verse. He says, it is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. There may be some shaking but you don't have to be shaken because your life is built on a firm foundation, on the cornerstone. There's power when we believe, even in the midst of a troubled heart. So much so, watch this, Psalm 56.3. The psalmist writes, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Look at this, Isaiah chapter 26, verse three. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Hey, troubled heart, in those times when your heart is troubled, it's time for you to believe. Then he can bring his perfect peace. Well, that's, that's good, Chad. Except... I don't know what I believe in. In fact, maybe for some of you, you'd say, I'm not sure I believe anything. Maybe that, that when I talk about belief, for, for some of us, we struggle because we're not so sure what we believe in. See, for many of us, um, we've, we've affirmed that this, this book, that the truths of Scripture, that what we know about faith in God and Jesus and Christianity, that that's what we're building our lives on, that it's the only choice. It's the only place where we can find objective truth. For others, and, and maybe this is you if you're watching this or if you're in this room, maybe it's not so much that that's the choice. Maybe it's a choice. Maybe it's an option for you. Maybe you're going, look, I'm trying to figure out what, what truth is. I'm trying to figure out what I really believe. And for some people, and maybe this is you, you're trying to decide, what do I really believe in? Maybe for others, there's, there's times in our lives where we said, look, I, I believed in this. I trusted this. But for whatever reason, it seems like it hasn't worked out in my life. It hasn't lived up to my expectations. So I'm frustrated by it. So because I'm not sure what I believe, I'm just going to put it over here because I just, I just don't understand it anymore. And it's dangerous for us when we allow our questions or our doubt or that confusion that comes, it's dangerous when we just push those things away and we say, I'm not sure what to believe, so I'm not sure I'll believe anything. Let me, let me encourage you with something. This was in my notes a couple weeks ago, and I, I didn't say it in all three services, and I felt like it was important for me to talk about this today again. Maybe, let's say you're looking for something, and, and you walk into a room because you, you're pretty sure that it's in that room, but you decide that you can just go in and find it without turning on the light. Have you ever done that? Yeah. I've done that, especially like if it's bedtime and you're like, oh, I gotta go get this thing, you know, and you're like, and you go walking in there and you're tired and you're like, I think I know where it is, so I'm not even gonna bother to turn on the light. Not because it's that much effort to just do this, right? <laughs> but for whatever reason, you're just like, I'm too lazy to this, and you're just kind of walking around and you're like, I don't know where this thing is. And so you start doing this. You're in a dark room, 
and you start trying to find what you're looking for. Man, you stub your toe and you bang your shin and you pick up the wrong stuff. You're trying to figure it all out. It would be a whole lot easier if you would just flip on the light, wouldn't it? Because then you could see and you could find what you're looking for. For many of us, what we do, it's, it's crazy. It's kind of counterintuitive. But when we have doubt, when that darkness comes in those times and we're not sure what to believe, we just start reaching around for what we can find. We just start looking for something when the light is right here. And if we would just be willing to shine a little light and not just set it aside because we think we don't understand it or we don't get it or maybe it's not true or somebody once told me that this and that, what if we would just say, God, I'm going to allow your light to shine on this and as a result, believe that the light of your word, the light of your truth, Jesus, I'm going to believe that even though I have questions, I'm going to let your light shine on those questions and help me to find an answer. Does that make sense? Do not search in the dark without shining some light. It doesn't do any good. Do not search in the dark without shining some light. Instead, let the light of who God is and the power of his presence change you. Look at what Jesus said, John 18, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of their doubt and confusion and failed expectations, Jesus says to his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. But he doesn't leave it there. It's not one of those deals where, you know, as a parent, sometimes you say to your kids, do it just because I told you to. That's good enough. Isn't I told you to good enough? Jesus knew it wasn't good enough in this instance. Look at what he says in verse 2. John chapter 14, verse 2. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, what I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. He realizes that he needs to help them understand that even in the midst of their disappointment, they can find hope. This happens in our lives so many times. We have expectations of how something is supposed to go, and then we are confronted by reality. Do you know what I'm talking about? I got this expectation, but this is how it's really going. What happens when my expectation does not match up to reality? I experience disappointment. And when that disappointment comes, I got to know how to handle it. Somewhere, I've got to find some hope. In times of disappointment, the disciple of Jesus has hope. See, that's what that verse is about. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. What he's doing there is he's painting a picture for them so they can have hope. Where does that hope come from? Well, for one thing, our hope is in heaven. Our hope is in heaven. When Jesus says, in my Father's house, he's not talking about some building down the street. He's using that as analogy of heaven. He says, look, your hope isn't just what's happening here today. Your hope is in eternity. Your hope is in heaven. You can put your confidence and your trust in what's going to happen in the future. See, here's the reality, and, and we gotta understand this. We gotta accept this in life. As long as I'm breathing and walking and living on this earth, there will always be trouble. Isn't that true? There will always be sickness and death. There will always be loss. There will always be times, even for the most faithful and the most spiritual among us, where we're confused and we're disappointed. That's the state of the world we live in. We, we sometimes seem to forget that because we buy into, and I don't think this is in a negative sense, but we, we buy into kind of the American dream that says that if I just do things the right way, then everything will be bluebirds and butterflies. Everything will be perfect. In fact, I just heard the other day that if we just pick the right candidate, then everything's going to be okay again, right? <laughs> we'll hear that for another four and a half months. 
doesn't matter which candidate you're listening to. It's what you're going to hear. The reality is we live in a fallen world. And so as long as we're living and breathing on, on this earth, there will always be things that will cause us trouble. That's why Jesus must point us to the fact that it's only in the end that we find fulfillment. Where do you find hope? Hope comes in what we're waiting for, what we're hoping for, what we're believing in. You walk into a restaurant, you sit down, you pick up the menu, the server comes over and says, what would you like? I say, I will like that. They say, okay, I'll be back. What do you do then? You wait, you get online. You find what you're searching for. You click order, and then what do you do? You wait. Hopefully you got next day shipping so you don't have to wait too long. <laughs> but you wait, and you hear the doorbell, and you go, oh, I hope that's my package. Hope is what we're waiting for, what we're looking for. And Jesus says, look, guys, I know the bottom's dropped out on this thing for you. I know this isn't what you expected, but don't let your heart be troubled. See, our hope, guys, is in what's ahead, in my Father's house. And then he uses this analogy that might not work for us as much as it did when he was talking to the disciples in the first century. But it's what you saw in the video a few moments ago. It was, it was what was referred to in the first century as an insula. It was kind of the housing complex area that a family would have in the first century in that part of the ancient world around Galilee. And, and like you saw in the video, here's how it would work. There'd be like an open courtyard, and the property belonged to the, to the father figure, the patriarch of the family. And that father figure had his home. But then as the sons went out, the son would find someone that he wanted to marry. And then when it was time for that engagement to turn into a marriage, what the son would do is the son would build a room or a home it was right there in that same little compound. So you have the father's house, and then here's a, here's a little house over there. It's the son's house. And when that house was prepared, when it was ready, then he would go and he would take his bride. They would get married, and then he would take her to be with him in his father's house. So you see the picture that Jesus is giving here. It's this idea of communal living, which to me, in 2016, I'll just be really honest with you, isn't that attractive? I remember the first time I heard somebody talk about this. My reality was, look, look, mom, I love you, um, but I like my house. It's just kind of how that works, right? I mean, when I read that, when I think about that, that I'm here and my family's over there and my brother's over there, it sounds like a bad episode of Everybody Loves Raymond, doesn't it? <laughs> Not to the disciples in the first century. They understood what he was saying. What he was saying was this. You're with me, and I'm with you. See, that communal living worked. It was so important because the family depended on and relied on each other. They couldn't do life without each other in the first century. It wasn't a matter of independence. In some ways, it was a matter of survival. We need each other if we're going to do this. And here's what Jesus says. He says, look, your hope isn't here right now, guys, in the midst of your troubled heart. Your hope is what's ahead. So you, you see that in my father's house are these, these many rooms, which is an interesting thing. I, I grew up reading that verse, learning that verse in the King James Version. You might be familiar with it. Because the King James Version does not say, in my father's house are many rooms. It says, in my father's house are many Mansions, you've heard that, right? I like mansions. That sounds good to me. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna get a big old mansion. Big old house, lots of rooms. I don't know what you're gonna have. I'm gonna have a gold driveway. I might even have a gold dog. I don't know, right? That's the picture that we get when we read that. 
in my father's house are many mansions. One has my name on the mailbox. That's not what Jesus said there. When I read the NIV, I felt like I got ripped off. If you go back and look at the Greek, it doesn't say mansions. It says rooms. I want some of my money back. I'm saving up for a mansion. Until I went to college, Wave Nunnally was one of my professors, and we were walking through the Gospels, and I remember so clearly he said this. He said, we read that passage so many times when we hear mansions, but Jesus said rooms. And then he explained the concept of the insula, the concept of the fact that what Jesus was saying here wasn't that you're going to get a great big house. What he was saying is that you're going to be with me. And I remember so clearly he said this. If you want your mansion in heaven, you can have it. He says, I just want to know that where I live for eternity is going to have Jesus' name on the mailbox. I want to be with him. See, our hope is not only in heaven, but our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. It's not in our circumstance. It's not in what we're going through. It's it's in, in who we believe in. Look at what Jesus said, verse 3 of John chapter 14. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and, look, look at this language, and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. There's, there's language of relationship here. It's not so much how big it is or how incredible it is. It's who we're with. See, the, the truth is this. Our hope is in Christ, and hope comes from relationship. Hope comes from relationship. I've been privileged in my life to go to some pretty cool places. I've seen some beautiful things, places where you would stand and look at buildings or landscapes, and you'd go, that's amazing. That's beautiful. But there's been times when I've been in some of these places by myself or with some friends, but I've thought to myself, man, I wish Rhonda was here. I wish she could see this. I would love for her to be here and see this beautiful thing. I've also been to some pretty nasty places with Rhonda. Now, nasty places are not the only places where I've taken Rhonda, just so you know this. Treat my lady right, we go to nasty places. It's not like that. It's not like that. But, but here's, we've been to beautiful places too. But catch the reality of this. I've been to some nasty places with Rhonda that I look at with very fond memories, not because of what was there, but because of who was there. Does that make sense? It's not where you're at, it's not what's going on around you, it's who you're with, because hope comes from relationship, and this is the point that Jesus is making here. He's saying, guys, look, even when your heart is troubled, even when the bottom falls out, realize that you're with me, because your hope is in the fact that you'll be with me for eternity. Cool story, Chad. How do I know it's true? Because God always keeps his word. You might have to write that down. You might have to remember that every day. But don't forget this. God always keeps his word. When everything around you seems shaky and unknown, you're trying to decide what do I put my confidence in. Put your confidence in this. Look at this. Look at what Jesus says. Go back to this in verse 2 of John chapter 14. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... What I've told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? When I read that earlier this week, I thought to myself, why is he asked that question? It seems kind of unnecessary. You think I'd have told you that if I didn't mean it? You know why he asked that question? Because he wants them to know that he means it. He's saying, look, I'm not just going to tell you something because it's what you want to hear. I'm not just going to tell you something to help you feel better about yourself. The reality is God does not play games with his people. 
God does not play games with his people. He's not just trying to make you feel good. He's not trying to manipulate you. When you're going through a situation and you don't know what the answer is, it's not because he's just up in heaven having a good time at your expense. He's not some some puppeteer who just kind of pulls the strings. No, he said, I've promised you that I will be there with you. And the key to finding hope is realizing that in knowing that, that God always keeps his word. Because what happens so many times is I get focused on where I am, where the bottom fell out, where my heart got troubled. And the reality is that's not where my hope is. In times of loss, the disciple of Jesus looks ahead. Not at where they're at, but at what's in front of them. That's why Jesus says to them, in my Father's house, don't miss out on this. In times of loss, the disciple of Jesus looks ahead. You know this just from everyday life, because if all you're focused on is where you are right now, you're doomed for disaster. You you ever seen this guy? Maybe you're in the mall or you're walking down the sidewalk and you see this guy, Tommy text a lot, (laughs) Tammy texter. They have no idea that they're about to walk right into you. You ever had that happen? See, it happen all the time out in public. People that are so focused on right there where they are that they're not looking about what's ahead of them. Every so often, you'll read a story of somebody who has a terrible accident because they're texting and they walk right into an open manhole cover or something. Have you ever heard any of those stories? I hear them and I laugh. It's kind of funny. You know why it's kind of funny? Because I've almost done that kind of thing. Because I was so focused on this. Not the person in that article. The person in the article was just frivolous in their texting friends at the wrong time. My text is so much more important because I'm an important person. But the reality is there's been times when I've been so focused on this that I failed to see what was ahead for me. The disciple of Jesus in times of loss realizes that this loss that's right here in front of me, that's not what it's all about. Because our hope isn't about this right here. Our hope is for tomorrow. Our hope is for tomorrow. Listen to what Jesus said again to his disciples. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Listen to his promise one more time. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Think about when he said that. Think about who he said that to. Thursday before the Friday of his crucifixion. Thursday night, he says that to his 11 closest friends. You know why just 11? Because number 12 just walked out the door to betray him. He just filled in one of them that they're about to deny him. And within the next few hours, every one of them will scatter and run and abandon him to his death. He knows this is gonna happen. That's why he told them the bottom's about to drop out. They're gonna fail him in about the worst possible way that a friend can fail anybody. Knowing that, Jesus looks at him and he says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. I love you. I believe in you. Even when you have a troubled heart, I want you to trust me because I have hope for you. Our hope for tomorrow goes beyond the failures and challenges of today. Our hope for tomorrow It goes beyond the failures and the challenges of today. Too many times, too many of us just throw our hands up in the air and say, what's the use? I've messed up too much. I've doubted far beyond. I can't even believe. How could God ever have anything good for me? 
And it's very clear from his word that our hope for tomorrow goes beyond the failures and challenges of today. In fact, the truth is that our hope is for today. That hope that we put in tomorrow, it's interesting. When we, when we hold on to God's promises for tomorrow, what happens is we, we send out belief in that promise in the future and it ricochets back to us as hope. It comes back to us that when we trust in what he has for us in the future, then we find hope for today. Tomorrow's promises secures today's hope. Tomorrow's promise secures today's hope. God, if I know I can trust you in what's ahead, then that means I can trust you in today. And I find hope for today because I know who you are tomorrow. That's why athletes train, isn't it? They spend weeks and months and years getting ready for the Olympics. Why? Because they have the hope of victory. So we live our lives with confidence, knowing that we can put our hope for victory in him. It's a powerful thing. We find hope for today. And then we come up against verse 5. John chapter 14, verse 5. I actually really like this verse. Thomas said to him, verse 5, does anybody remember Thomas from the Gospels? I thought maybe you'd know his nickname, and then I said, eh, doubt it. (laughs) Do you know what they called him? (laughs) Doubting Thomas. That's what we've nicknamed him. He kind of gets a bad rap, actually. I don't think it was that he was such a doubter. I think it was, he was just kind of one of those guys that's just a realist. There's a story in, in the Gospels where, where Jesus is about to go into a territory where there's some people who don't like him. And as they're about to head in there, Thomas says, don't worry, Jesus, I'll go with you and I will die with you. Thanks, Thomas, for the encouragement. <laughs> He's just kind of a realist. He says, I'm, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. So Jesus says to them, fellas, I know the bottom's dropping out, but, but hang on here. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me, my father's house. He walks him through all this hope. What does Thomas say? He's a realist. Verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? He says, God, I don't don't understand at all what you're talking about. This makes no sense to me. I don't get it. And he starts asking questions. You know what I think when I read that verse? At least he asked. Many of us let our questions push us away from God. We let our fears and our doubts paralyze us and cripple us. When actually one of the most freeing things we can do at some point is to just ask. God, I don't get this. When the disciple of Jesus lacks confidence, they trust God to answer their questions. Asking a question is not a bad thing. Oftentimes it's a good thing. Say, God, I don't don't quite get this. Can you help me here? They trust God to answer their questions. Sometimes we question what God is doing. This is what Thomas does here. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Have you ever had that feeling? God, I don't know where this is going. My marriage, my job, my health, my family, my church. God, I don't know where this is going. Sometimes we question what God is doing. Sometimes we question who we are. What's Thomas say? Not only, Lord, we don't know where you're going, but how can we know the way? How can we figure this out? How's this going to work out for us? Sometimes we question who we are. Those questions are critical things because I think that sometimes the only way that God can get us to see the answer is if we're in a place where we ask the question. Allow your questions to be the catalyst for God's answers. 
Allow your questions, the things you're not sure about, your troubled heart, allow it to be the, the catalyst for God to bring answers to your life and to your home. Our daughter, Carissa, just graduated from high school. We're super proud of her. And the last couple of weeks, we've been pulling out old pictures and putting together some video stuff and that kind of thing. And it's just reminded me of um, our kids and um, how good it is that they look like their mom and, and all this kind of thing. And one of the things is I just reminded how many questions they asked. Why, 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 why? Thought of a whole new purpose for duct tape. Why, 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 right? And then I remembered kind of those moments. And I remember I had to remind myself at times, the reason they're asking all these questions is because they're learning. If they don't ask the questions, they won't know. So asking the questions is really important, and me answering the questions is critically important because it's in the questions that's how they learn. Not with arrogance, not with bitterness, not with a God I know better than you do kind of attitude. But don't be afraid to say, God, I, I don't fully understand what's going on here. Can you help me? You know what the beauty of verse five is? That if, if Thomas didn't ask the questions in verse five, we wouldn't have verse six. John chapter 14, verse six may arguably be one of the most important verses in all the gospels. John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Hey, troubled heart, you confused? You're not sure what way you should go? Jesus is the way. Direction is found in Jesus. Hey, troubled heart, confusion and disappointment getting the best of you? Not quite sure how any of this is going to end up. Answers are found in Jesus. Because he's the way, and he's the truth. Hey, troubled heart, are, are you wondering about how things seem to be just falling apart around you where, where your dreams are literally dying? Life is found in Jesus. He's the way, he is the truth, he's the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. See, salvation is found in Jesus. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's no other way. If you have a troubled heart, hope is found in no other place. It's found in no other way. It's only found in him, which is problematic for some people because they say, well, that's, that's so exclusive. That's so... Um, limiting, it's actually pretty arrogant if you think about it, that you would say that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Scripture says uh, that the only way to get to the Father's house is through Jesus. So Chad, are you telling me that the only way for someone to be saved, that the only way for someone to get to heaven, are you telling me that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ? Nah, I'm not telling you that. 
Jesus is. He said it. These are, these are the keys that I carry around with me just about everywhere I go. I got one side here that's church keys and one side that's kind of my home and personal things. I counted them up. I got 15 keys that I carry around here. And I'm not quite sure why, just to be honest with you. Different ones do different things. This, this, is, this one here is probably my personal favorite because I think it's the prettiest. I'm not actually sure what it opens. It's something at my house. Um, but if I have to look at it, this one is the most aesthetically pleasing. I like this one. But if you came up to me and said, Chad, hey, can you, um, can you give me the key to get into the church? Then it would be, it would be one of these here. If I, if I tossed the key ring to you and just said, go ahead, anyone will work, that would actually be a lie, wouldn't it? Because only one of these keys is going to unlock it. If I said, um, hey, try the pretty one. You'll really enjoy it. It's my favorite. You'd be standing outside the church for hours. You'd probably break off the key. You'd just be standing out on Conan Street with nothing to do because it wouldn't work. There's actually three church keys that are on here that all pretty much look the same. Actually, only one of them, though, will open the front door to the church. And if I told you anything different, it just it wouldn't be true. If I said to you, just try any key, you'll be fine. You would know instinctively. You'd say, that's not going to unlock that door. There's only one of these keys that's going to work. Why is it that we don't have any problem accepting that when we talk about physical things, but we're really challenged when we say that there's only one key to eternity? It's not a matter of exclusion. Jesus said anyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Doesn't matter your race, your color, your age, your background, your religion, doesn't matter. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Jesus is the only key. I didn't say it, he did. It's the truth of his word. And the reality is this. Jesus is the hope of a troubled heart. He's the only thing. He's the only one. It's the only place where you'll find it. And so if it's, if it's like the last few services have been, the truth is that there's probably quite a few of you in here who have a troubled heart. And I just want you to know that Jesus is the only place that you'll find that hope. And before you, before you move or walk away, give me a minute just to give you one last encouragement. Because for some of you, you're going to get in your car and you're going to go, thanks, God, because that's if, in my troubled heart, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. You're going to have a good Sunday. And then Monday's going to hit you. <laughs> and then Tuesday. Wait till Wednesday wallops you. Because that troubled heart has a tendency to come back. February of 2012, Pastor Bill and I um, went to the nation of South Africa. We were preparing for, um, we later took four teams from Calvary um, to South Africa to work with this young lady who was a missionary there named Leah Fuller. Have you ever heard of her? <laughs> Leah, before she was our serve director, was for seven years a missionary in South Africa. And um, we, we got there long flight actually at the time anyways it was the longest flight from the continental u.s from atlanta to johannesburg south africa it could be upwards of 17 hours in a plane next to people you don't know or like <laughs> remember we were coming back february of 2012 somewhere over the atlantic your favorite pastor freaked out like i had a 
I don't know what you call it. It was anxiety. It was fear. It was, it was, it was this moment where I, just, I was gripped by the fact that I'm somewhere over the ocean. You can't just pull over and take a break, right? And all these unrealistic fears and irrational thoughts started coming in my mind. And I remember at one point, I was, I was just like huddled in my seat, just completely possessed by this fear. My heart was troubled. Man, I couldn't wait to get back on the ground. Problem was, the whole reason we went over in February is because in July, Pastor Keith and I were going to lead a team that was going to go back and do children's ministry. The only way to get back is to fly back. And from February to July, just to be quite honest, I was gripped by that fear. I was excited for the trip. I was, I was stoked about the team. But every time I thought about it, I just got sick with that anxiety of I've got to make that flight again. It, it was a constant burden on me. It troubled my heart. The day we were leaving for the trip, I opened up uh, my utmost for his highest. You familiar with that devotional, Oswald Chambers? July 5th, the verse for the day was John chapter 14, verse 1. It says, do not let your heart be troubled. And there was one sentence there that just jumped off the page at me. Chambers wrote, this is a command. It's not an option. Jesus said, you do it. Don't let your heart be troubled. I thought, oh, Lord, thanks, I needed that. Got in that plane, do not let your heart be troubled. Felt good. We took off somewhere over the Atlantic, about three hours away from Atlanta. Guess who showed up in my seat? Troubled heart. And that anxiety, that fear came back. And I had to stop and I had to pray. Do not let your heart be troubled. God, I believe in you. God, I trust in you. God, I put my hope in you. Do you know what came to me? This flood of peace rushed into my heart. Man, sitting there in that seat, I felt that troubled heart leave and I felt confidence come in to my life. It was powerful. Man, I sat back. Thanks, God. My troubled heart is gone for about two hours. Guess who showed up? Troubled heart? Chad, you're going to go berserk on this plane. You're going to let fear get to you. You're going to freak out. You're going to start going crazy. I could just see the headlines. Local pastor goes berserk. Picture me in a straight jacket, right? I could see the whole thing. It comes back. You know what I had to do? Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. It's not like I'm out over the Atlantic and God went, where's Chad? Where's Chad? I was in his hands the whole time. I just had to trust that. Three, four times on that flight, trouble came back. I had to let my heart not be troubled. And believe that in those times when I believe in him, he will come in and he'll bring that. It's not just a one-time thing. You know why? Because we live in a fallen world. Guess what? We got to South Africa. We had an incredible trip. You know the problem of going to South Africa? You have to come back. Let not your heart be troubled. Monday's going to come. Tuesday's going to come. Wednesday's going to come. Jesus says to you what I say to you. Let not your heart be troubled. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? I know this isn't for everybody, but I'm confident it's for somebody. Aaron's going to start to sing that song that we sang earlier. You are good. You are good. You are good. You are good. I'm going to pray. Then he's going to sing. And when I say amen, if you say, God, I need hope for my troubled heart, I just want you to stand right where you are. Nothing more. 
I just want you to take that step of faith. Say, God, thanks in this moment, I believe in you. I trust you. I put my hope in you. I need your hope for a troubled heart. When I say amen, and as Aaron begins to sing, then I want you to stand and commit that to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that there's times when trouble comes to our homes. Trouble comes to our jobs. Trouble comes to our marriages. Trouble comes to our health. Trouble comes to our lives. But today, Lord, we put our trust, we believe in you. So we affirm that we let not our hearts be troubled. We affirm that Jesus, you are the hope for the troubled heart. We confess this, we profess it, we affirm it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to find in him your hope, would you stand right where you are? And would you sing this, God, you are good. disappointment comes or fear comes when we start to doubt ourselves when we start to doubt you when it feels like the bottom's falling out and we have a troubled heart we believe in you God believe in you Jesus we know your name's on our mailbox that our hope is in you we do not let our heart be troubled now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Send us out with your special favor, your wonderful peace. In Jesus' name.